Hello, STEM Nation, Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 36 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up with our guest, Kenton, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Kenton Harris earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Virginia, and his career path has taken him down the manufacturing road. He has worked at Husco International as an advanced manufacturing engineer and currently works at Tesla as a senior manufacturing engineer. Welcome to the show. Kenton, fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I've had a windy road on my way to manufacturing, but I've experienced both uh, mechanical design and uh, product management and then uh, really have dug into manufacturing in the past few years. Uh, personally, I, uh, big, I, I'm a triathlete um, and was a really avid swimmer. And my wife and I are about to have our first uh, baby. So very okay. exciting times in our life. Congratulations. Your life is going to change and it'll change for the better. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited. All right. So Kent, let's get fired up here and let's get right into it. So you do have a mechanical engineering degree. And most would think that you would stick with mechanical design, but you have you've evolved into manufacturing. Could you share with STEM Nation how this type of career path came about? Sure, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of good stories of that. So uh, when I was about ten or twelve years old, I toured a nuclear submarine. Um, uh, my dad was in the Navy, and um, I, I saw the stuff on the sub and was just enthralled by it. And I thought it was just the coolest stuff, the torpedoes, the uh, tomahawk missiles, like all the little nooks and crannies that they stick things into. So I kind of came out of that and said, I want to design this stuff. And so that's, that's what I first did. I went to work for a defense contractor uh, and designed um, electronic uh, equipment. I did mechanical packaging, so I had a very mechanical design-oriented role. And I learned a lot about um, thermal uh, loads and how to design equipment to, to handle those and, and vibration loads as well. Um, and then I got a call from a college friend that said, Hey, we're, uh, working on a startup, uh, for the defense industry and we're going to kind of re rethink how defense industry is done. And I was like, Oh, this is great. We're going to get up rid of all this red tape. And so I went for a startup that, that got, uh, it made a giant blimp for the air force. And so, um, did that for a little while. And, and I was, I was really excited about this mechanical design stuff. And, um, we made the blimp and then the air force canceled the program. And, um, it, it was really disheartening experience for me. And I said, I, I, I want to work on something that's going to get made. So you can kind of, you, you have this idea on paper or on your computer and you want to see it actually get manufactured. And that's, that's kind of when I started working for, uh, for Husco making uh, hydraulics for construction equipment and, and cars. And, I really thought that it was important to, you know, the, the really most rewarding part about engineering to me is is to see that design come to life and uh, to see it on the road every day and or to see a car, or see a excavator, you drive by and say, oh yeah, the valve I work on is was was in that. It's a really cool experience to see. I think that's one of the best parts about engineering is getting that uh, satisfaction of the, your idea coming to life. So. Um, so yeah, and now, and now I do manufacturing for, for Tesla and, and, and work on um, their cars and really focused on how, um, you know, you can make a product once, but how do you make it again and again and again and maintain that high level of quality that, that everyone expects? 
Yeah, going from designing a, a blimp and make, being, making maybe a couple of blimps to manufacturing automobiles, that's completely different. And um, I guess, yeah, you have to be able to manufacture that and repeat that very precisely over and over and over again. Exactly, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a totally different set of challenges where, you, you know, if you're just making one thing, you know, you can take as long as you need or maybe not as long as you need, but, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of resources available to you to make a one-off perfect and you can make it incredible. It's another thing to make one every 60 seconds for the rest of time. So how do you think mechanical engineering compared to, let's say, an industrial engineer? I think of industrial engineers going more into the manufacturing side. How did your mechanical engineering degree provide advantages in the environment or in the manufacturing world? So, um, I think a big a big way is it uh, provides you um, they call it a DFM, which is designed for manufacturability, um, and and by having a design background, it allows you to provide feedback to the other design engineers of what types of design work the best for manufacturing, what might be an easiest thing to manufacture. So, for instance, um, a design engineer might want to use a bunch of screws to screw the part together, um, but if the if the part's never going to come apart again. Um, it's often easier to use like a snap hook or a, um, a, a one-time feature that's going to uh, hold it in place because then you don't have to have a screwdriver. You don't have to have the screw itself. You don't have to pick it up. So you can just push the part into place. So there's those kinds of considerations that um, someone with a manufacturing role but a design background would would be able to you know tell the design engineers of oh did you why are you using 20 screws you can only you know you only need three snap hooks um that that type of thing i I think that um is a lot more valuable i think um from an industrial engineer you know I, i tend to think of them more laying out the the floor space in your factory and, and I'm kind of more closer to the product. So kind of in between the design engineer and the industrial engineer. Okay. So do you get involved a lot early on in the design of the equipment? So to make sure that it is manufacturable? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, manufacturing engineer is in charge of all the tooling. So what is the tooling that holds the part look like? And then, um, how do you ma- how do you perform the process on the part to change it? And, you know, if you're going to drill holes in it or, um, that kind of stuff, um, how are you going to fixture it and, and, and hold that? So while you're not designing the part that, that goes on to the customer, you're designing all the pieces that, that touch it, um, on its way through the factory. So, Kent, let's get specific here. And what is your area of expertise? The the number one thing I would say I do is um, help spec out a process. So, you know, when you see this product, you have to um, determine, you know, what is the process that creates that product? So you, you create a process flow and then you determine what are my inputs from the supplier? What are my outputs out of, out of the line? And most importantly, how do we test the product to make sure that it performs as well as it as it should? Um, specifically, you know, you're setting limits as to okay, I'm gonna, um, you know, nominally it's gonna be five, but plus or minus one, and I will test that and I will check, you know, is the thickness of this part um, over seven? Okay, well that's gonna be a failure. Um, it can't work, but 
you know, setting it up and maybe it needs to be plus or minus 0.5 and, and kind of dialing those numbers in and, and using statistics to figure out um, what is a good part and what is a bad part is, is a really um, difficult thing to kind of uh, do. And I, I do a lot of it. So, Kenton, what does a work week look like for you? So my work week um, changes a lot depending on what phase of the project we're in. Uh, I think at the beginning of a project, you're doing a lot of theoretical um designs and meetings trying to figure out you know what is the best way to make this product um, and then you transition that into okay let's make a few products and prototype them so then you can go down and make a couple of them right the first thing you want to do is get your hands on the parts figure out how they go together where are the pinch points where are the difficult um, portions that you're going to run into trouble um, and then you you know, uh, I do, I spend a lot of time in uh, CAD and design tooling that are going to hold the parts. Um, and then I spend a lot of time doing layouts of, um, well, what if we do this process first? Or what if we do three assembly process at once and then one test process versus assembly test, assembly test, assembly test, um, and, and kind of balancing those out. And then you basically send all those parts out for order and or for manufacture all, all your tooling and then they arrive and you have to assemble them together um you have to make sure that they work as intended and um you know you spend a lot of time on the factory floor right at the beginning right um and, and that's you kind of run off the machine and then after that um you kind of look at the data and make adjustments so and then you move on to the next project so uh, my weeks change very often i have times that are um, very high intensity, high stress, long hours. And I have times that are, are less stressful um, at the beginning and the end of the project where you, where you have time to um, try new things or, or, you know, do some lessons learned from the completed projects. And Kenton, if you had to pick one thing that really has you fired up in the manufacturing or mechanical arena, what would that be? I'm huge into robots uh, and automation. And I think that... Um, I, I foresee the, the 21st century as a, a time when uh, there will be much more automated robots either assisting people uh, or, um, or doing more processes that didn't used to be able to be done um, with automated assembly tools. So um, I, I really love some of the kind of lower cost robots that get put in where you didn't used to be able to do it. So, Ken, one thing I want to bring up is, you know, some folks out there think, well, manufacturing is dead in the U.S. Everything is being manufactured overseas in low-cost countries. What What's your insights into that? <laughs> um, there is, you know, that still happens, um, but I think it is getting um, fewer and further between. I think that the ingenuity of uh, American engineers will eventually bring some of those jobs back. Uh, I think we are continuing to find ways to automate things cheaper. And I think that if you look at the economics of, do we send this part, you know, all the way to Mexico or to China to get made, um, and then bring, bring it back, um, when you could make an automated line, you know, downstairs and, uh, be there and it, it can make as uh, many or as few parts as you want. And then you can, you know, make something new on them and, you know, reuse those pieces of equipment. Um, I think that's really going to be the thing that, that, that brings the manufacturing back to the U S is finding a way to automate it. Yeah. I think automated and these, these positions in the, in the production world are going to be very highly talented positions that are needed like 
STEM careers. It's the, I think the the days of all the manual assembly those are those are the bygone days. Yeah, I mean, and there's still a place for it. I think we we do a kind of person versus robot trade-off. Um, and the more that I do, the more it gets put into a robot because the robot will do exactly what it's supposed to do every time. They don't get tired. They don't forget something. Um, and, and so that, that allows a much higher quality product as well. Um, and so a lot of times we, we determine that, you know, is it manual or is it automated by um, uh, quality more so than, more so than cost. Because um, that, that can have a huge uh, impact on overall lifetime cost of the product. All right. Thanks for that, Kenton. And if you could take us to an aha moment you've had, something in your work or your personal life, and tell us a story and how you turn that aha moment into success. I love this. I love, I've, had, I've had three aha moments in my life, and I, I remember exactly where I was for every single one of them. The first one was... Um, my parents got cable internet instead of dial-up. Do you remember the first time you had cable internet? I, I remember dial-up. I'm old enough. I remember not having dial-up. So yes. Yeah, even before then. Yeah. So I, uh, I remember dial-up and then it was great. And then, and then cable came and all of a sudden you could get, you know, data as fast as you could. I thought it was just incredible and it was going to really change, um, everything. And I, I, I really, like that was like a huge aha for me of like, Oh, this is going to be fast. I want to, you know, be involved in this. And then the second one is my friend got an iPod, one of the first like iPods, the, the wheel actually moved and uh, the rest of us were walking around with CDs and like, you know, <laughs> like a giant book of them. And, and the first time I held this thing, I was like, this is, this is really going to be incredible. Um, and I, I wish I would have told my dad at the time to put, put my college fund in, in Apple stock yeah. because <laughs> it was, it was really low right then. And I, I, and I just knew I was like, Oh man, this, this iPod is going to be really cool. And, and, and even more so than the, when I held the iPhone, it was just like, Oh, this is just the iPod again. But, um, seeing that product for the first time, I was like, how, how did they put this together? And I, I immediately took it apart. <laughs> Uh, as soon as I got one, I, I, you know, this is brand new, really expensive uh, thing, and I, I immediately took it apart because I wanted to see how it worked. And I was shocked that there was, it was there was a hard drive inside from a, a laptop. And then, so my third one and the most important one, I think, is uh, it was the first time I ever drove a Tesla with autopilot. And um, so a, a friend of a friend had one, and we got in, and we we went on the road, and you're like, you're just telling me, you, you just click this you know, a cruise control stock, just like cruise control. And all of a sudden the car was driving itself down the road. And I was, I was just in, incredulous that this is like finally happening. Um, and there's little, two little blue lines on the, on the screen that say, this car telling you basically this, I know where the sides of the road are and I'm going to go right, right down the middle of it. And, and I, I saw it and I was like, I, I have to work on this. It's, it's going to be, you know, every, everyone is going to have this soon and, and I want to be a part of it. And, and so I, um, picked up my family and moved out to Nevada and, and started and started working for Tesla. But it was, it was such an incredible, like light years ahead of everything, but also knowing that soon everything else is going to be like it. It was like peering into the future. And STEM Nation, if you want to experience the same things Kenton's doing, you have to get through these challenging STEM careers. So, Kenton, if you could go back to when you're 18, heading off to college, what are some things that you wish you knew back then that would help our STEMers launch into college successfully? 
My biggest one is um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Um, I, I had a coach or somebody that told me that once. And um, nothing is as hard as you think it might be when you start. Um, you know, when you first are diving into a subject, you're like, I, I don't think I'll ever understand this. And um, I, I think people are afraid to try and fail. And so I think one of the biggest things is to find a way to make something hard apply to you. Um, so I, fluid mechanics, I was just terrible at, and I took this class in fluids and I, it was a really tough class for me. And then they, they had a project where you basically made your, made your own homework question. And, and I was a swimmer and I, I had this parachute that I would, that the coach would put on, you put it on like a belt and then you would swim with this, like, it was a very small parachute, but it was a parachute behind you. And so my homework assignment I created was calculate the drag of the parachute going through the water fluid. And so I, I kind of made this analogy to this thing that I had experienced myself. And it, and all of a sudden I was picking up the, Oh, this is why this equation matters because this is how I use in the real world to figure out this drag force. So that making something apply to you and, and not being afraid to, um, to like try harder than you think, you know, you, you, you're smarter than you think you are. Um, and every super smart person I've met, really was just someone that was willing to work a little bit harder than everyone else was. Kenton, could you repeat that phrase that you had mentioned? Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. <laughs> I love it. And we're going to take a quick pause here and thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost and you keep the audiobook. And we are heading to the lightning round. Kenton, are you ready? I'm super ready. Let's light it up. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I have 11 words that are taped above my wall that keep me focused. And it says, one thing at a time, most important thing first, start now. Don't delay. Whatever the most important thing is, do it right now. Don't wait for anything else. Just get that one thing done that's the most important and everything else will follow away. Deciding what the most important thing is becomes the hard part. But I always have this like most important project and they're like, I'll do that one tomorrow. I'll do all these easy ones first. No, don't do that. One thing at a time. Most important thing first. Start now. And what's a personal habit that contributes to your success? Um, I'd have to say like my curiosity. I, I, I really resonate with like MacGyver. I don't know if... Oh, yeah. I know MacGyver. You, you know some MacGyver things. So, you know, don't be afraid to, like, break something and, like, figure out a different way to, to use it. Um, you can usually find a way to put it back together if you do it if you do it correctly. Um, there's a couple awesome websites, like iFixit, that kind of show you how to, how to take something apart. So, you know, I think everyone out there has a phone that has a battery that probably doesn't work as well as it should. Um, go, go replace your battery. Um, maybe in your old phone, not your, not your current one, but you know, they have these great teardowns and, um, I, that's something that I really think is a, um, a habit of always take something apart. You're always learning how someone else has designed something and, and why they made the decisions they made. And did you get your iPod back together? Yeah, I th maybe not the first one. Um, <laughs> But I definitely, I, I ended up repairing all my friends' iPods is what happened. I would charge them, you know, 20 bucks and I'd take their, their iPod apart and, and put it back together for them. So you, you, can, you can make it an enterprise. All right. And what's your favorite internet resource or phone app and why? Have you heard of Adafruit? I've heard of Adafruit, yes. Adafruit is the 
best. I love Adafruit. So um, Adafruit is a website that was made by an engineer. Um, she went to MIT and makes kits for you to put together all of your electronics. And the best part about the kits is that they include the code for how the kit is to work. And, and I'm not a great coder, but I think that Adafruit does an incredible job of showing you example code. And, and I, I do what's called spaghetti coding, where you, you take little bits and pieces from lots of different codes and just kind of like copy and paste them together and, and then get it to do the thing you want it to do. So you don't really have to write anything from scratch. You can just kind of borrow the pieces you need. Um, and the website is just incredible documentation and it's got the coolest stuff in it. Um, I used an accelerometer at work the other day that I, some, my colleague bought this like thousand dollar accelerometer and I bought a $50 one from Adafruit and mine, uh, Adafruit has an app on their, like you can download an app for Adafruit and like their products work on the app. And I had this accelerometer traveling in the factory, um, streaming data to my iPhone as I walked next to it. And, and the guy with the thousand dollar accelerometer had to plug his in <laughs> to an SD, to an SD card. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I did it very, very quickly. Um, so I, I actually have a couple other ones. Can I put a bonus one in? Absolutely. All right. So, um, on YouTube, how it's made is this show that, um, kind of walks you through, I think it was on the science channel back, you know, a long time ago, but they put all the episodes up on YouTube and it walks you through how everyday things are made. And so, um, if you want to learn about what manufacturing is, go down the rabbit hole of how it's made on YouTube. And, and it's, it's incredible. It shows you how all sorts of stuff. I mean, I still find myself going to it on a regular basis. And what's one book you would recommend and why? Favorite one lately is called manufacturing processes for design professionals. And it's, it's almost like a coffee table book. It's, it's big. It's by Rob Thompson. And it basically walks you through all of the different manufacturing processes that exist. And it's kind of an encyclopedia, but it's got great pictures and uh, kind of like uh, trade-offs for why you would use one process over another. Um, and it's, it's just gorgeous. Um, any engineer that sees it on your coffee table will just immediately start flipping through it. Uh, it's got incredible pictures in it. Kenton, as we wrap up here, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation? And then we will say goodbye. Two things. Find, find a mentor and find a partner. So in a mentor, try to find someone who like has done something cool and then just say, hey, I want to pick your brain about this really cool thing that you did. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be like, would you like to be my mentor? Um, you know, you can just, you know, ask them about the project and pick their brain. Um, and I, I, and then the second thing is find a partner. And so find a lab partner, find someone that is interested in the same things you are, but maybe, you know, compliments you in a way that you're bad. So, you know, I'm very disorganized and my, my college lab partner was incredible. She was very organized and, and, and we compliment each other really well. And, and one of the things I, um, you know, I've been in a lot of different places. I try to make sure you maintain those connections with, with people that you've worked with and, and tell them, you know, I hope, I hope I get to work with you again. Like, you know, we work well together. We work on a team well together. So find a mentor and find a partner. All right, Kenton, thanks for all that valuable insight and, and value. And with that, we will say goodbye. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate it.
You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Kenton. Head on over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. We are approaching 10,000 downloads, and if you could share this podcast with one person, it'll help us reach 20,000 even quicker. Tune in next week we talk with Kenneth, who is a civil engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.